Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of my favorite ordinary fall things are snuggly sweaters, crisp, cool evenings, and digging all my boots back out of the closet again. And a few of mine are apples from the local orchard, the cashmere sweater I found at a thrift store, and the first fire in our wood stove. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I want to acknowledge that we are stepping into a new month. And my first instinct was to say, happy November. But I don't really feel that way about November. <laughs> in general or I mean, November, in this year in particular? This year in particular. I mean, <laughs> normally November is a great month, but at least here at Maplehurst, the leaves have all just dropped off the trees. So it's that first month of really looking at bare, stark winter. Normally, I'm excited to plan for Thanksgiving, for um, American Thanksgiving, where we invite friends over. Um, but that isn't happening in the old ways this year. And in fact, I had a very awkward conversation with my children at the dinner table the other night when they informed me that if we weren't having guests, they would prefer if I just did not make a turkey <gasps> at all. <gasps> Sacrilege! Are you serious? I know. <laughs> Wait, what? Do they not like turkey? Apparently not. <laughs> oh, my word. The Thanksgiving meal is the best ever. Like, I am proud to say that my children, who are not 100% American, would eat Thanksgiving food every single day if I would prepare it. <laughs> Maybe we should trade children for the holidays. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> that is too funny. I Did you reject their offer? I did strongly, and they let it go, and I could tell that they were just saving the fight for another day. So... <laughs> We will see what happens. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> How are you feeling about the month of November? I see you with like a turkey and then a large bowl of mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. uh, turkey for me. <laughs> I, I really love it. I Even this year, I've been surprised because it's the one month that still feels pretty special to me. I think the cold, the rain that we have here too, the leaves, most of the leaves are still on the trees here. They're coming down. But it's so beautiful, like the reds and the yellows and the oranges. And for me, having grown up in the Southern Hemisphere for half my life, I never fail to be completely swept up in the magic of autumn here. And Thanksgiving is on the horizon. I feel sad because we won't have students to have this year the way we have in the past. But we will definitely round up some strays and have them over. Um, we do have kind of a little bubble of people. We've spent this COVID period with, so we feel safe having them. And I love Thanksgiving because when you round up strays, I always feel like the bar for the food is low. <laughs> and so <laughs> while I am not a confident cook, somehow I enter Thanksgiving with this confidence that's otherworldly. And I think it really does come from years of college students just salivating over whatever I serve them because they're so ecstatic that it's home cooked. <laughs> So I feel That's like good. as long as the turkey's good, it doesn't really matter about the sides, you know, how great or not they are. In previous years, we've talked about how I actually have set fire to the sweet potato casserole and they still <laughs> ate the whole thing. So there you go. <laughs> but I'm laughing because I have thought about 
just the travel that has usually come with the season. And I know for a lot of people, it'll be different. I know for a lot of people, it'll probably be the same, you know, different parts of the country and the world are handling these seasons differently. But it's been a while since you and I have told a story through from start to finish. And it feels like it's time for one. So you and I each have Ooh. one about travel this year to share here in the season of November. The season of November is November season. It sort of feels like it might be. It might be. <laughs> in the season of Thanksgiving. But I remember it wasn't Thanksgiving. It really was. It was the end of the summer. So it wasn't cold yet, especially here in the D.C. area. August is very hot. But my father had traveled out from South Africa to the States, and he was meeting me in D.C., and then he was going to drive me. We were going to road trip together from D.C. back up to Boston, where I was going to college, and I was entering my senior year. Was it my senior year? No, it was my junior year of college. And my dad came out from South Africa. And we were going to rent a car and drive from D.C. to Boston. Now, you may be wondering, why did he not just meet me in Boston? Why didn't I just fly back there? And it's because I had met a very cute boy that's, that, that semester in D.C. We had both been there for the summer. We had internships in the city. And it was my father's chance to meet for the first time. Peter Baker before we parted ways and I went back to Boston and then Pete actually was going to go overseas for a semester in Europe. So there was this small window of opportunity for my father to meet the man who would become my husband. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> my dad arrived in the city is sweltering hot. We had this I was staying with three girlfriends in this small apartment in the, right in the city. And Peter was there, and it's funny, I don't have a lot of vivid memories from that time, but I do vividly remember saying goodbye to Pete as I was getting into the car with all my earthly possessions to then travel with my dad. And I didn't know like when I would see Peter again. I thought it might be a year. He was going overseas for a semester. I was going back to school in Boston. He went to school outside of Chicago. So picture with me, if you will the awkwardness of trying to have a romantic goodbye to the love of your life while your father is standing right there watching <laughs> the boy, right? So it's like, keep your hands off my daughter. Eyeballs are coming in Pete's direction. There's not like in the movies where you get this big lost romantic smooch, you know, it's like trying to hug and I'm sobbing, but trying not to be over emotional and I know Peter just wants to like wrap me up in his arms but there's my dad like giving him the side eye <laughs> it's so funny from Pete's perspective he always says your father got in the car to wait for us and we were standing on the stairs of the apartment where I had been staying Pete had helped load us in load us out you know pack everything into the car and I had my back to my dad and I was giving my boyfriend this big long last hug goodbye and pete says he looked up over my shoulder <laughs> and my father is like sitting in the front seat of the car just staring at us like he's not even trying to give us any kind of like privacy and he said that i then said goodbye i got in the car i'm all emotional i'm like lost waves out the window and pete says your father the lost look he gave me through that window as he pulled out of the parking lot with his daughter essentially communicated with his eyes and we will never see you again <laughs> 
my dad swears that is not what he was thinking. But my husband is always like, that is exactly what your eyes said to me. Like your eyes were like, and now you are dead to us. Like, I hope you enjoyed that moment. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and so it's like one of those awkward trips where your father has always seen you as a little girl, right? The person he takes care of. And for the first time, somebody else entered the equation who had cared for me that summer, who had, I mean, literally cared for me, had helped me buy groceries. We were so poor that summer, had stocked my fridge, would come over with ice cream, would pay for the movie dates, who shared peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with me because it's all we could afford to eat all summer, you know, during our lunch breaks, it's just that strange moment of transition. And I think Thanksgiving brings those kind of thoughts and feelings to mind. Like there's something about going home mm-hmm. where we all step back into the role. You know, all the books mm-hmm, talk about mm-hmm. that. We all adapt back into whatever persona we were as children. And so there we were in the tension of me as my father's daughter, but now also as another man's what? You know, like what is that? <laughs> what are you to my daughter? <laughs> Yeah. And I didn't quite know how to put that into words either because I had lived for so long then overseas. Like I had lived unsupervised for a long time. I spent all of my time even before Pete without my dad around. And here was my dad now both in my life, but also in my romantic business. And now we're stuck in a car together for the next eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am like trying to manage my grief. And of course, if it had been a girlfriend or even a mom, I feel like there would have been room to talk. Like, let me tell you all the romantic things that happened and why I'm going to miss him so much. And instead, it's like my father, you know? And so it's like, here's the directions. We crossed the bridge. Like, we need to get gas. Where are we going to sleep? It's just a strange combination of emotions. I remember us stopping at gas stations And up until that point in the States, I'd never owned a car of my own. I'd never had to get gas in America. When we lived that summer in D.C., we took the metro everywhere. And if we had a car, it was because Peter had borrowed one from a friend. And so he handled gas or whatever. And I remember, Christy, my dad and I pulling into a gas station and we couldn't figure out like how to pump the gas in America. Like, where do you put the card in? How do you pay? Like, how do you turn it on? I mean, it was such an awkward thing. How much should it cost? Because when you're pumping gas in South Africa, it it will run you, like a full tank of gas will run you about, I don't know, like 150 rand or something. And so like my dad has like this $100 bill he's expecting to pay for this tank of gas that ends up costing like 20 or 30 bucks, you know, like just all these unfamiliar things where the two of us were really navigating so many new elements around us, both externally and internally. I remember stopping at a gas station and my father loves ice cream. He just loves it so much. And we had finally figured out how to pump gas. And he went into the little (laughs) kiosk to buy ice cream. And he bought, I even remember what kind it was. It was the Magnum ice creams that have the thick, you know, the dark chocolate shell with the vanilla interior. Mm -hmm. And when you bite into it, it just cracks really hard. But my father has one incisor tooth that has some kind of groove or weird thing that he subsequently got fixed. But it was at such a weird angle that when he would bite, sometimes, especially if he was eating something cold and he wasn't as aware of his tongue, it would get in the way. And while driving, he bites into this ice cream and literally bites right through his own tongue. And he just starts bleeding, okay? It's so (laughs) disgusting. And he's driving... And now, like, I'm trying to find, a, like, a towel to give him because there's so much blood. And I'm 
what is happening right now? And I remember at the, at, the, at the moment before it happened, we'd been in kind of like one of those tense moments of like sort of that teenager vibe, like you annoy me, but I need you mm-hmm. to drive me and like, please buy me mm-hmm. ice cream, but also don't <laughs> talk to me and I'm in my feelings right now. And he's like, doesn't know how to deal with me. And now like he's bleeding out of his mouth. Okay. And I have to like get over myself enough to care, but I don't care because I'm kind of like annoyed and bratty. And now I'm like annoyed at my father that this is happening and it's super gross and embarrassing, right? Like, like my poor dad is like in so much pain and he's like trying to be polite about it to me because I'm so snotty in this moment. (laughs) I remember us driving and finally me getting over my just, I don't even know what it was, stupidity, we stopped in New York City and he wanted to be in Central Park. And we actually have photographs of us in Central Park. And like, I looked at those pictures recently and I was like, what is my problem? Like, you could tell by my <gasps> face that I'm like annoyed to be with him on this road trip. <laughs> and that, that persisted. Like, I remember it sort of as if I was in, like I had a temper or like a fever, you know, like there was something in me. I didn't know how to turn off a level of irritation with him. That is one of those weird, familiar things we experience sometimes when we go home. And it lingered all the way up into Boston and into Beverly Farms and Wenham, where Gordon College is located. And my dad was going to go get a hotel for the night. I felt relieved to be rid of him. (laughs) And back to my dorm room and really didn't pay attention to what he was going to do that night. I think we ate dinner together and he dropped me at my dorm room. He said he was going to get a hotel and he would see me in the morning. And we parted ways and it gave me time to exhale and take a shower and catch my breath and start to feel a bit more like myself. But you know what's interesting, Christy? The next morning when I saw him, there was something about how he looked that morning. He had like stubble. He looked tired and a little wrinkled and had that sort of sixth sense moment where I thought to myself, did he go to a hotel or did he sleep in the car? And I know he'd been worried about finances and the dollar is much stronger than the rand and it was expensive Mm -hmm. for him. And I had finally a moment where I thought less about myself Mm -hmm. and actually thought about him and what that trip was like from his perspective And he never said to me, I didn't sleep in a hotel. I found that out afterwards that he had looked at a bunch of hotels that had been really expensive. And rather than calling me up and asking me, like, is there a a guy, you know, on campus where I could bunk in his dorm room or could you help me like his bratty daughter? He just gave me space. He slept in that freezing cold car at night. It got so chilly. And the next morning when he arrived, I took him over to one of the, it wasn't even a dorm. You know how sometimes the campuses will have kind of like a house where the guys are staying, Mm -hmm. like a group of guys. There's a house I took him to with a bunch of guys and introduced them to my dad. And here's the thing that's interesting about our parents. Sometimes when we see them through somebody else's eyes, we can remember why they're special. And I dropped him off with these guys. I said it'd be back. And about two hours later, I came back and he's sitting at this old wooden kitchen table. And these college guys are just transfixed by him. They're like, tell us more about that, Dr. Rousen. What did you do then? Wait, what? And he's telling them stories. They've made him tea. They've let him shower. He's sitting at the kitchen table. And I caught a glimpse of just the hero qualities of my father. Like our dads, for better or worse, 
have both, right? They are both the villain and the hero of the stories of our childhood. And in that moment, I got a glimpse of, oh, oh, there are these special things about him. He isn't just the annoying guy who took me away from my boyfriend and embarrassingly bled all over the car (laughs) and made me feel (laughs) awkward and trapped. He's also magnanimous and kind, and he's lived a very rich life. And that that moment at the table really stood out to me and helped shift the dynamic of the rest of our time together during that trip, where he had come out all the way from South Africa to drive his daughter back to college. So I would have the experience that all of my other friends had had. And I had been resentful and petty and bitter and small. And he sat at the table and I realized in that moment, oh, I'm I'm proud that he's my dad. And man, it was just a moment that was so special. And I think when we head into the holidays, that's always my hope these days. I don't think I have expectations anymore that the whole experience will be like glittery hallmark level awesomeness. But I do think I hope now for those peaks through like a crack in the window where you see somebody um, in the best version of themselves. And and it's because you're in the best ber- version of yourself in that moment Like those are the gifts that going home um, has taught me to look for these days. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's so good, Lisa Joe. It's funny to think, so we're in a very different place now, right? We're no longer college students. We have teenagers of our own, but the holidays are coming up and it does, there is that universal feeling of, I want to be home for the holidays, right? right. And, and what is that? But of course, um, maybe not of course, but but certainly for me, my home is right here where I am. I am already home mm-hmm. here in this house where I live with my husband and my four children. Um, but the thing about my home that's been true, not just here in Pennsylvania, but for, for decades, ever since I left Texas 20 more, you know, 23 years ago, um, is that I don't... My home is not in a place with other family members. (laughs) I'm grateful for my friends and my neighbors, but I've never lived close to family ever since I left home back at age 20. And at the holidays, the memories of holidays spent with family come up. and, and, And I feel like for me, it is the one time of year when home feel, when I feel the inadequacy of home. I love my home. I am at home in my home. But at this time of year, I can feel the not quite enoughness even of my good earthly home, right? So I was remembering other holidays and I was remembering the year. So this would have been Christmas of uh, 2001, Christmas of 2001, because um, I remember that Jonathan and I, we were married at the time, but we had no children yet. We were living in Chicago. So we had been married and away from our families in Texas for a couple years, but not long. In a way, I'd say we were still newlyweds. Um, and so still our center of uh, our sort of pull, the pull of, gra- you know, that gravitational pull of home yeah. <laughs> was still very much, I think, with our parents and siblings who were younger and, and still at home in Texas. Well, that fall, everyone will know that 9-11 here in the U.S. And at that time, Jonathan and I had been on a trip to Ireland. Um, We had planned for it for ages, dreamed of it, saved up for it. And that September, before uh, school started up for me again, there at the University of Chicago, we went to Ireland. And we did our whole trip. It was wonderful. And then we caught a plane to come home. 
And uh, we were on that plane heading home. We had just, we'd only been in the air half an hour, not long, uh, when the um, pilot came on and said, (laughs) I'm not sure if I've ever shared this on the podcast before, I still feel annoyed (laughs) at that pilot for how he said it. But then I guess, you know, what, what words would have been appropriate? I don't know. But he said, something terrible has happened in the United States. Mm. And we will be landing in Dublin, and you will get your luggage and you will get off the plane. And so there we were, (laughs) thinking we were headed home to Chicago. We're not headed home to Chicago. We were taken to Dublin. We had taken off in the west of Ireland, but we were now like diverted, I guess, to Dublin a city we hadn't actually even visited on our trip. We'd stayed in the West. So now we're in Dublin. We're experiencing Dublin for the first time, finding out what's happened. It was a weird, weird, sad, traumatic experience as it was for so many people. Did you find out right Not when just you Americans, landed? But because that's such a strange thing to just make that generic announcement. And then did you yes. land? As soon as you landed, so, like, was the news on the TVs in the airport? No, it was very... Uh, part of it, I think, is to remember that this was like before smartphones. Right. This was before easy access to internet. This was not Wi-Fi on planes. Some people on our plane had cell phones and they called people. And so rumors started like passing around the aisles of these things that were happening. Um, But I have to say, actually, of course, um, when the pilot said that, John and I both had the same image in our minds. We didn't say it, but we both thought like mushroom cloud, like something nuclear. Like, what does he even mean? Like, we can't go home. What? So we're thinking these horrible things. And then people started passing these rumors, but we heard them and we thought, no, no, that just, right. what? No, it just didn't make any sense. So we got off the plane. It took forever to get our luggage. We're asking people, but nobody knew. And so it took quite a while until I was standing. I got through a line standing at a desk. Um, again, because you couldn't just plot your phone, phone and book things, right. right? So I was standing at this desk to have someone help me make some sort of sleeping arrangements, like reservation in the city for a place to stay. And of course, every other stranded traveler is trying to do that. And I, and I asked the woman, what happened? What, like, what happened? And she couldn't tell me. She just said, it's like something out of a disaster movie. Mm. And, I, and that's when it hit me, like, okay, some terrible thing. I could sort of picture it, but I still didn't know. So honestly, it took hours. I don't think until later that day we were in a bed and breakfast and turned on the TV and started watching the Irish news that we kind of understand what was happening. I won't, <laughs> I won't even go into all the details. I'll tell this story another time of how we eventually got home a week later. It was crazy. It involved a bus ride from Dublin in the east all the way back across Ireland so that we could maybe catch a flight out of the west coast. It involved, um, again, back then before e-tickets, it involved holding on to our little scrap oh, of a ticket oh stub yes. because when we had boarded that plane and taken off, We'd handed over our tickets, right. right? We were all checked in, and no one had seemingly any kind of record of us still needing a flight home because we had caught our flight home. Oh, it wow. wasn't like they couldn't deal with the fact that our flight had never gotten home, home, right? Wow. <laughs> it, it was so crazy. It ended up a week later after all of this drama that was, I think, scary and hard because you didn't know when it would end. You didn't know when you'd go home. You didn't know how you would get home. You didn't know when airspace would open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so many similarities, just all these uncertainties, um, not knowing how the story would end. Um, It did end for us 
in the Shannon Airport, we were trying to get on a flight to Chicago. They were trying to let people on on the basis of need. So we were a young, healthy, newlywed couple. They were letting all of the the elderly travelers who needed their medications and so Mm -hmm. on get on these planes. So they were not letting us on. The very end, they had one seat left and they called my name. And all I could do is say, I, there is no way right. I'm getting on an airplane <laughs> to the United John. States without my husband. Right. And so we just said, no, we can't, you, we, you cannot split us up. Um, and so right in that moment, we realized, okay, I guess we're, we, I don't know, we're just going to wait. I, I don't know. We didn't know how we, what would happen next. Uh, a, a flight attendant or air, airline employee ran up and said, does anyone want to go to Baltimore? Oh and John goodness. and I were like, yeah, we'll go to Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) So we raised our hands and she's like, run, you have to run. So we chased this woman through the airport (laughs) and we were the last people let on this flight to Baltimore. And we sit in our seats in Baltimore. I'm like, John, what are we going to do when we get to Baltimore? (laughs) He's like, well... I know some. I know some people live in Northern Virginia. We'll call a friend. Um, maybe they can help us rent a car. We'll drive to Chicago. You know. But wow. at that point, we're like, we're on the right continent. <laughs> right. Right. So that was our September experience. Well, of course, everyone knows. Like that was that was a traumatic experience and so traumatic for our whole country that whole fall. And I think, um, uh, especially, it interrupted um, people's usual thoughts about travel. I think for the first time, many of us realized that, oh my goodness, something really terrible could happen to you on an airplane, something that we'd never dreamed of before. I'd never thought about hijackings and so on. So there we were finally in Chicago, just the two of us again, so far from family. And now the holidays are coming up, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas. And I can hardly describe the depth of need in me to be home. Right. (laughs) to be with our people and no longer on our own and to be home for Christmas. But I also can hardly describe the depth of need and me to not get on an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I remember thinking, I don't know when I can get on an airplane again. It felt like something I may never be able to do. Um, Now, I did. (laughs) Um, Actually, I got on an airplane that summer and flew back to Ireland, which was really great. on my own, actually, for a study program. And um, yeah, that, that was a good experience. But at that time for Christmas, I, there was no way I could get on an airplane. So we had never attempted traveling home from Chicago to South Texas, South Central Texas, um, anyway, other than by an airplane. But we decided, we looked it up and we thought, you know what, I think like we really need to be home and we really can't get on an airplane, we'll just get in our car. We have a car. We'll just, however long it takes, we'll just drive. So we mapped it out. It's a super long drive. But we thought, you know, we can do it in two days. We'll stop here, planned it out, told our families, we're coming home. We're going to be home for Christmas. Um, I can remember just the anticipation, being so excited. And of course, the hard thing is you're so excited and you get in the car and you're all loaded up and then you just want to be there. Right. And then you have to sit <laughs> there for got two, two days. days. <laughs> But at the end of that first day of driving, John and I just were so eager to be home. We looked at each other and we thought, do we need to stop? Hmm. Maybe we just keep going. What time will it be if we just keep going? And I no longer remember exactly. I should have checked with him on the details. But I want to say we figured out like, you know, if we just keep going, we could be there at 2 a.m. or something like that. Let's just keep going. Let's not stop. 
And so that's what we did. We didn't stop. <laughs> we would barely, you know, we'd stop for gas and then get going again. I don't even think, John's always been the driver in the family. He's so great. I don't even know that we switched places. I want to wow. say that my husband just sat in that driver's seat and wow. drove and drove and drove and drove wow. until we pulled up at uh, my childhood home in, in Bryan, Texas. And we were home, home <laughs> for the holidays. But I was thinking about that recently and thinking that in some ways, as hard as it was then, it was simpler because we knew where home was. Mm. We knew who 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 home was, right? Yeah. And it, even though we were married and we had a kind of home in each other, we hadn't yet made that full switch to like home being where we were and where our children were. We didn't have children yet, right? Um, and it just hadn't been that many years since we left home and we were so young, right? So we knew then where home was and we got ourselves there. But I've been thinking about the holidays this year and how much I would love to be with family um, as my extended family would love to be with us. But it isn't possible because stupid COVID. <laughs> I mean, it would it's just complicated, right? Everything is complicated. Everything is harder. And um, always my concern is, you know, my parents who are older and, and protecting them. And anyway, so it's just, and, you know, Thanksgiving's a quick turnaround in terms of time off from school and you know, so it just isn't possible to to see family for Thanksgiving and probably not for Christmas either. So I've been thinking about how in some ways that's okay because here I am already at home. I'm here with my family. But in other ways, it's not because it isn't maybe the fullness of it that I want this time of year. It isn't complete. But the kind of ache I'm feeling isn't the kind that can be solved 26 hours in the car, you know? Yeah, know. <laughs> and in some ways, that was a gift that that long ago year of that road trip. But I can't, yeah, it's I can't do that this year. So I'm just asking myself, okay, what does it look to, um, I don't know, travel without leaving, somehow to move closer to family, to move closer to my own children who are still here, um, and I can make a holiday for them. We do have plans to gather socially distant that weekend, or at least outside around a campfire with friends. So we'll get to do that. I hear what you're saying. There seems to be an ache in me when I listen to your story. And even when I tell the story about my road trip with my dad, and it's an ache for something I want to go back to. And I think that is the mm, ache of yeah. Christmas and the holidays. Like I want to go back to something, but that thing isn't necessarily there anymore. Like there's something I want to go back to that isn't there. And yeah, I think for a lot of us this year, it feels that way. And I know in the country here in America, at least it's very different. You know, different people are having different experiences about what does, does life look normal again for you or doesn't it? You know, and I'll just share here on the East Coast, it really doesn't yet. <laughs> Everything yeah. is still closed down and masks are still the law and there's no sport and it, it doesn't feel normal. And I know in other parts of the country, it is moving back toward more of what feels like normal. But I I have to believe that for all of us, there's an ache for something we can't go back to this year. There's just something has changed permanently in all of us in the way that it changes when you go from being 18 to being 46. You know, I can't go back. I can't climb back into the car and be that same person anymore with my dad. He isn't either. I'm not. I certainly can't go home to South Africa this year because flights are banned from coming in from the U.S. to South Africa at the moment. But there's that universal ache that despite COVID, I think we would still have that thing in us that longs for home. And yeah. I think I'm going to take refuge in C.S. Lewis's words because he recognized that, 
you know, way back <laughs> decades ago, he talked about that ache, that longing for something that we can't get here. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to choose to view that as an arrow pointing us back to Christ. You know, I don't want a shortcut, but I do want to say that that ache, if I want to view it in any kind of positive light, I have to let that lead me back all the way to the home I am actually meant for. So rather than feeling lost, I want to keep holding on to that as pointing me back there. And, you know, it's what my dad used to do back when I was a college student and I felt so homesick. He would tell me, you're so lucky you feel that way. A lot of people will never feel that in their whole lives because they'll always live just within driving distance of home and you don't have that. And so hold on to that as a gift God has given you. But man, this year, so many of us actually have that gift. So many of us can't go home in the Mm -hmm. way we're used to. And may we receive that as an unexpected and weird upside down gift from a father who does call us home Mm -hmm. and will bring us there. He will bring us there safely. He will take us there. And we're we're on the long way home. We're on the car ride, you know, (laughs) we're traveling and biting our tongue and getting lost and driving through the night and feeling like we're never going to get there. And we're so tired of this car seats right now. And How nice to know that he's going to be waiting. He really yeah. he promises it. He says there are many, many rooms, and he's preparing a place. And I think now more than ever, this afternoon, I just needed to remember that, that he's out on the porch. He's not even inside. Like, he's out on the porch. He has the light on. He's waiting for us to come home. Mm-hmm. We're homesick for the holidays, but we're also headed home. And, yeah, he's waiting for us. It's good, good to remember. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.